prophecy is one of the most exciting studies a person can do in all the Bible. I want to encourage you as we open the Bible today, as we open the scriptures and get into this very, very thrilling prophecy to test it. See whether what we're presenting is true or not. And if it is true, thank God that he tells us about the past, the present and the future. So hold on. You will enjoy this study. Let's pray. Great God of the heavens, we come here this morning to worship you. As we start this series in prophecy, prophecy in the Bible, we want to ask that you'll be there to open up our minds and help us to understand the very important messages you've given us in the Bible through prophecy for the times we live in. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer. Bless those who are in the church and bless those who are watching this on television. I pray in your name. Amen. We're going to begin a very short series on prophecy. Prophecy, I think, in the Bible is one of the more interesting studies that you can embark upon. In fact, it's a great, great adventure to study prophecy. And this morning, to start our adventure, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Daniel, to Daniel chapter 7. Now, there are many, many books in the Bible that deal with prophecy. In fact, a good percentage of the Bible is prophecy. However, there are two books that we'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks that stand out as great prophetic books in the Bible. They are the books of Daniel, written somewhere between 600 and 500 BC, and the book of Revelation, written sometime toward the end of the first century AD. The book of Daniel was written by a young man called Daniel who was taken as a slave from his home in Jerusalem. He was taken as a slave by King Nebuchadnezzar to the city of Babylon, which is in modern day Iraq. And there in Babylon, if you read the book of Daniel, you'll find the life of a prophet who truly did have some amazing experiences with God. The book of Revelation is written by Jesus' youngest disciple. His name is John. And John was the disciple, the Bible describes John, as the disciple who loved Jesus. He was the only one of the twelve disciples who died a natural death. Tradition, and perhaps there's some, there's some uh, truth to tradition, at times anyway, says that John was captured by the wicked, the evil emperor, the cruel emperor Nero, and tried for his love of Jesus in Nero's court of justice. He was condemned to death by being put in a pot of boiling oil. However, when, and tradition says this, and I think there may be some truth to it, when John was put in the pot of boiling oil, he would not burn. And so in, in exasperation, Nero sent John to the island of Patmos. And there, while breaking rocks in the hot sun, God gave John a vision. It was a stupendous vision. It was a vision which later became known as the book of Revelation. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these two very important books. But you know, to understand prophecy, you must have keys. If you do not have keys that unlock the prophecy, 
You can, you will never understand it. Now let me give you two important rules here as we begin this study. And if you have a piece of paper and a pen, whether you're in the church or whether you're at home watching this on television, I want you to get that piece of paper and and your pen out and I want you to write these two rules out. The first rule is this. All keys that unlock prophecy must come from the Bible. The key to unlocking prophecy, the key must be found in the Bible itself. That is a very first important rule. The second rule is this. If the key, if the key is used to unlock one prophecy, then the same key, when found in other prophecies, should be used to unlock them as well. Now, That may not be coming through clearly to you at the moment, but that will become more apparent and easy to understand as we look at these prophecies. Before we we start our Bible study, I would like to give you a few keys found in the Bible that will help you to unlock Bible prophecy. These keys keys are simple keys. I'm not asking you as we look at these prophecies prophecies which give us these keys to understand the prophecies. I'm just asking you for a moment to have a look at the keys, understand the keys, so that when we put them in the door of Bible prophecy, they will unlock, they will work and you'll understand. Here's the first key. Turn in your Bible to Revelation, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15. Here's the first key. Remember, I'm not asking you to understand the prophecy. I'm just asking you to see the key. Here it is. Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. This key will always be the same. What do I mean? Let's look at it. Then the angel said to me, the waters, this is what I want you to look at. The waters, the waters that you saw where the prostitute sits. Don't worry about who or what the prostitute is. We're looking at what is water in prophecy. Very important. What is water in prophecy? The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. Now, whenever you are in prophecy in the Bible and you see the word water mentioned, you have a key. Water, and this, oh look, I promise you, this will become easy to understand as we get into the prophecy. Water represents peoples, nations, multitudes. So whenever you see the word water used, it means lots and lots of people. Okay, let me give you another key. Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to look with me, if you will, at verse 17. Here's the second key. Now, I don't want you to understand the prophecy. I'm not challenging you to understand the prophecy. I just want you to see the key. Daniel 7, verse 17. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. The first key tells us that water in prophecy represents nations, multitudes and peoples. The The second key tells us that a beast... A beast in Bible prophecy represents a nation or a kingdom or, if you like, a power. Okay, so the first key tells us, Revelation 17, 15, that water equals lots of people. The second key tells us, and I'm going to give you three today, the second key tells us that a beast equals a nation, a power, 
or a king. Okay, let's have a look at our last key this morning. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 4, Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 6. We will not be using this key in this week's Bible study. But it's important that you know this key, that you allow it to settle into your mind because it's very important to where we go in the next couple of weeks in this prophetic study. Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 6, God used to get his prophets to do some funny things. Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 6, God says, after, and he's talking to Ezekiel, after you've finished this, lie down this time on your right side and bear the sin of the house of Judah. You don't have to understand that. This is what I want you to see. I have assigned you 40 days, a day, a day for a year. Now, in Bible prophecy, a day always equals a year. Always equals a year in Bible prophecy. In Bible prophecy, water always equals multitudes, peoples and nations. In Bible prophecy, every time, a beast, every time without fail. The key tells us, it is a biblical key, you can find it in the Bible. You don't have to understand the prophecies immediately. They will, they will become understandable as we open this study up. But in Bible prophecy, a beast must always equal a nation. There's no use having a Bible prophecy in Revelation where a beast equals something and then a Bible prophecy in Daniel and the beast equals something else. The keys in Bible prophecy must always, must always be consistent. In Bible prophecy, that's why water equals always equals nations, multitudes and peoples. I'll say it again. A beast always equals a nation and a day always, always, always equals a year. One day always equals a year. Now, if you have that in your minds, if you're prepared to at least look at that, let's go into our study for today. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. We know that when Daniel has this dream, he is a very old man. We know that because Belshazzar is the king. And Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar who first took Daniel prisoner so many years ago. Daniel actually rose, oh read the book of Daniel, it's a great story. How Daniel rose from being a slave to one of the great rulers in the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel by this time was well established, he was really no longer a slave, he was well established in the kingdom, he was well thought of, he had been a valuable advisor to Nebuchadnezzar for many years. But it seems that Nebuchadnezzar had died and his grandson, Belshazzar had come to the throne. Nebuchadnezzar eventually made a decision and followed God. Belshazzar never ever acknowledged God. He died without God. And he kind of just shunted Daniel to the side, took away his power, took away his authority in the rulership. And I guess you could say Daniel had kind of just disappeared into retirement. But you know when you're working for God you never retire. And God, in Daniel's retirement, sends him a dream. What does he see in this dream? Daniel says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. We're in prophecy. As soon as we get into prophecy, we start to use the keys. The key for sea or water is nations, peoples, multitudes. So if we were to use the key here, we start to understand the prophecy. In my vision, at night I looked and there before me were four winds of heaven, churning up the peoples, the nations, the multitudes. Daniel says, as I have this dream, it is a very troubled time. 
the sea, the people, they are stirred up. That is the context of this dream. It goes on, he says, verse 3, Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. Now you've got the key. Sea equals nations, people, multitudes. A beast equals a nation, a king or a power. We've got that key. We got that key from the Bible, from prophecy. Now let's, let's use the key and see what it says. Four great nations, each different from the other, came up from where there were lots and lots of people who were in troubled times. Verse 4. The first, Daniel says, was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted up from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. Look, Daniel has a dream. In this dream, he he sees four great nations arising up from a very populated place in the earth. The most populated place on the earth at the time of Daniel's dream was the Middle East was the eastern part of the world, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, Israel, Lebanon, Syria. This was the populated centre of the world. And Daniel says, I had a dream and out of this populated centre, I saw four great nations rise up. The first nation, he said, was like a lion that had wings on it, but the wings were torn off and the lion stood up and the heart of the lion was taken out and a heart of a man was put in it. Very strange indeed. You go back in history. God is using terminology that you and I should understand. Just the other night, I sat down Saturday night and watched a test match between Australia and New Zealand, a rugby league test match. Darren Lockyer, very happy about that, scored the final try and won the match for Australia. The Australians were called the kangaroos. The New Zealanders are called the kiwis. It was the kiwis versus the kangaroos. The emblem kangaroo represents Australia. The emblem kiwi represents New Zealand. You understand that. God is using the same sort of terminology to describe nations in the Bible. Now, if you go back in history... You'll see that the very first, the first great world power was a kingdom called Babylon. The kingdom that Daniel himself lived in. This empire was the very empire that had taken him as a slave out of Jerusalem and taken him to Babylon where he rose up in the courts until he was third ruler in the land. Went to heights unparalleled for a slave boy. This first nation, this lion, is ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon was a short-lived empire from 605 BC to 538. Its, its principal king was Nebuchadnezzar. It was a beautiful empire, a beautiful city was Babylon. You may have heard of the Hanging Gardens, one of the wonders of the ancient world, these gardens that Nebuchadnezzar had built for his wife. You may have heard that Babylon had running water. Babylon had a sewage system. It was the Babylonians who first gave us universities and were the ancestors of the ancient learning system we have in the West today. Yes, the people of Iraq, where Babylon was situated, have a very ancient and a very rich, rich culture, far more so than we of the West. And Babylon was a magnificent empire. The Bible says that it looked like a lion, 
you can see reliefs, pictures on the ancient ruins of Babylon. And, and the animal they used to symbolise themselves was a lion. The Bible says it looked like a lion. It, it, it had wings that were torn off. Wings, of course, symbolise swiftness. Babylon was very swift in conquering its territories, but towards the end of its reign, it, it, like I guess most world empires, became corrupt and weak and her armies, far from being swift toward the end of the empire, were very weak and very slow to act. It says that the wings were torn off, it stood up like a man and its beast's heart was taken out of it and the man's heart was put in it. What does that mean? It's simple. The heart of a beast is fierce. The heart of a beast is uncompromising. It is savage. The heart of a man can be touched by God. It can be changed. This beast, this kingdom of Babylon, it started off with a beast's heart. You know, I I have seen beasts, wild beasts. I was in Kruger National Park a few years ago and I saw a lion. It was a lioness who had just killed a zebra. And this lioness was, was on the side of the road and I drove up next to her and she was eating her kill and I saw her, she turned around and she stared at me with her yellow eyes with those black slits and I knew that if I had got out of the car that day in Kruger National Park in South Africa that I would have been dessert, zebra for the main meal, Lloyd for dessert and I can assure you I kept the windows of the car wound up. Beasts are ferocious and these world empires that God's describing to Daniel were ferocious, they were vicious, they were fierce. But Daniel converted Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to God. And so this kingdom changed from having a beast's heart to a man's heart, symbolising nothing other than the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar to God. Verse 5, and there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, get up, eat your fill of flesh. Who is this bear? Go back to history. You'll see that Babylon was conquered around 538 BC by Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persians. God has given Daniel a dream of the great world empires that would rule the world. He said the first would be Babylon and in Daniel's dream, God said the second will be Medo-Persia, the bear. Why was it raised up on one side and lowered on the other? Because Medo-Persia was two allied nations. Media, Persia raised up, one was stronger, one was weaker. Media was weaker and Persia became stronger until the empire became known as the Persian Empire. It was a long-lasting empire. Went from 538... BC to around 332, maybe somewhere in the vicinity of 200 years. Powerful empire, perhaps not quite as powerful as Babylon, but powerful nevertheless. It had three ribs in its mouth. Who are these three ribs? Egypt, Babylon and Syria. The three nations that Medo-Persia wiped out. But God wasn't finished because he says in verse 6, after that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given great authority to rule. Perhaps the greatest king to ever walk across the face of the earth. Greatest warrior king 
was a man by the name of Alexander the Great. That's who this leopard is. It's Greece, ancient Greece. Had four wings. Why? Because the ancient Greek armies under Alexander conquered and conquered more quickly and more swiftly than any other armies before them in the history of the world. Alexander the Great, as I said, was perhaps the greatest general the world ever saw, undefeated in battle in 332 BC on the plains of Arbela between Greece and Persia. He fronted an army of Persians, one million men. He marched against them of only 30,000, and by the end of the day, 30,000 soldiers, Greek soldiers, united Greek soldiers under Alexander the Great, had routed the Persians, and Alexander had gained an empire. A few days later, the Persian king was killed. And Alexander was master, master of the world. But you know, he led a licentious, hedonistic life. And by the time he was 33 years of age, a young man, his life was washed up and he lies on his deathbed. A leopard, fierce, very, very ferocious leopard, one of the fiercest animals in the animal kingdom. And Alexander the Great, this fierce king, lies on the bed and he's dying and his generals come to him and they say, Alexander, Alexander, who will take your kingdom? And in, in Alexandrian style, he looks up at them and he says, to the strongest goes my kingdom. And do you know that on that day, Alexander the Great's kingdom was split up between his four generals into four divisions. Thus the leopard has four wings for swiftness and four heads symbolising these four generals, the four divisions of the Alexandrian Grecian Empire. And that empire went from 332 to 168 BC. The dream is still not finished because Daniel says in Daniel chapter 7 verse 7, and this is where it gets interesting, and by the way, This prophecy goes all the way down into our time. After that, in my vision, I looked at night and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot. Whatever was left, it was... Oh, this is very important. It was different from all the former beasts. And it had ten horns. Alexander, and we're going to take this this beast on next week and we're going to see what the Bible has further to say about this. But Alexander the Great set up this, this, this large, powerful Greek empire. Alexander's armies who were never defeated around 168 BC came into conflict with the armies of pagan Rome. I want to tell you this morning that never, ever have there been armies Never has there been a nation and never has there been an empire like pagan Rome. And they marched across the face of the earth and every army that endeavoured to stand before them fell. And they ruled a larger empire than any other empire in the history of the world before and the history of the world since. A great, a majestic, a ferocious empire. And you can see you can see the remains of the Roman rule all over Europe today. Some of their roads are still in existence. You can go to the north of England and you can see Hadrian's Wall, a Roman wall that goes from one side of the country to the other. That was the, the, the far extremes of their northwestern empire. They were just they were a nation like the world has never seen. And they ruled from one sixty eight BC and it's it's a little bit contentious when the end of pagan Rome's rule came, but it was probably somewhere around 476 AD, 500 plus years. 
this great nation ruled the earth. Where does that leave us? Well, I want to encourage you to switch on, if you're watching this on TV, to the next program. I want to encourage you in the church to come to the next program because Daniel 7 continues into the last day and it impacts you. God gave Daniel a dream. It started in his day and it goes through to your day and it's a dream, it's a prophecy you need to know about. It's a prophecy that unlocks the exact happenings that will occur in our world, in the world we live in now. You have a look at what's happening in the Middle East. It's predicted here in this prophecy. You have a look at what's happening here in America. It's in this prophecy. You want to see what's happening in our world? It's in this prophecy. So hold on. This is an eye-opening prophecy. A prophecy for your times. Look forward to seeing you in the church. Look forward to seeing you on television next time we open the Bible and look at this tremendous end of days prophecy. Isn't it amazing what God shares and tells us in the Bible? He knows the past. He also knows the present we live in. And praise God, he knows the future. And it is all in the Bible. I want to invite you back to the next program where we go on from where we left off today. It's thrilling. It's exciting. And it's great to know that a God is in control of this world who knows the past from the present. God bless you as you begin and continue your studies with us in prophecy. Yeah, my love.